0: In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read it to you? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 7 and reading through 18. Look what is before your eyes. If anyone's confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority which the Lord gave For building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned us, to each to reach even to you, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our boast is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends amen this is god's word you can be seated so paul had uh just written in the in the section before this we're working our way through the second letter to the corinthians and in the section just before this paul had been uh, speaking of the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in he declared that his weapons were not physical but that they had divine power to pull down strongholds and arguments and every lofty opinion that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And while he was uh, attacking as man's version of how you can be right with God without Jesus atoning sacrifice. These false teachers had, were presenting another gospel and so he's defending the truth of the gospel. He's taking every thought captive, all the thoughts that those false teachers were teaching, taking them captive and making them obedient to Christ and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Verse seven again, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone's confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. You know, you can when you're with people, you can see if they're in Christ, you can see the fruit of the spirit in their lives. Their lives uh, are a reflection of what's in their heart. Though we, we might differ in style, we might differ in our particular calling, but we don't need to criticize the the little differences. If there's the fruit of the spirit, we should acknowledge and cur- encourage actually the difference in our ministry. You know, we're all given a different a different ministry by Christ. Each of us has our own calling. And sometimes we think everybody should have the same calling we do, but God gave these various gifts to a variety of people so that more people can be reached for him. I feel like there, there's too much criticism and nitpicking going on in the body of Christ, especially in America. If you go to a foreign field, if you're a missionary on a mission field, denominations aren't very important because out there around you is all the Christ-denying world, or, or if you're in the Muslim world, or if you're in another f- field of animism or whatever, everyone around you has a totally different belief. So it doesn't matter if your brother's assembly of God or Baptist or even Catholic, if they believe the faith that Jesus Christ died for our sins, all of a sudden we come together, we pray together, and we work together. But here in America, where we have so many options, we start, you know, we start nitpicking. Now you should believe what you believe because of what the word of God teaches and you should have a strong conviction on that. But on the peripheral issues, we need to, to be a little more generous and gracious. We're all bound to have minor doctrinal differences and expectations with, with almost anyone we know hardly anybody even within the same family believes exactly the same thing but that should not cause division try to understand the scriptures that led those people to believe in the conclusions they've reached and agree to disagree peacefully and with respect when you agree on those essentials of who christ is and what he's done for us there was a time years ago when when a movement came through town that that swept up a lot of believers. I noticed some deception that, that was going on and so I, I felt led not to be a part of it. Nevertheless, they preached the gospel. And Paul in Philippians chapter one, when he was in prison in Rome, he mentioned that there are some people out there on the street who aren't even believers preaching the gospel, trying to get him in trouble. And he said, It's a good thing because the gospel's being preached. He didn't even care if they weren't believers as long as the gospel went out, the truth of what Jesus has done for us. So I told our congregation, "If, if you feel led to be part of it, then be a part of it. Follow the Spirit's leading. But eventually it did cause division, and the church that embraced it filled up with people from other churches that embraced the movement. The churches that didn't found their membership dropped. But that was only for a season. Now that church has less attendees than it did before the movement began. Time has a way of clarifying the issues. The law of sowing and reaping cannot be altered. Churches that are competing for members from uh, with other churches are going to find other churches competing for their members, right? So reap... It just happens that way. If that's their main goal, then they've missed the main reason for existing. Paul's saying, look at what is before your eyes. If you see the fruit of the Spirit, it's most likely of God. If you see the fruit of the flesh, then it likely is not. But that takes discernment. Sometimes what looks good at first has an underlying agenda that's different. And we can ask ourselves if someone is personally benefiting from it or if all glory is going to God. That helps us discern. Paul was telling the followers of the false teachers that if they were so certain they belonged to Christ while rejecting Paul and his team, they just needed to open their eyes and see what the false teachers were claiming about Paul was groundless. Paul and his team obviously belonged to Christ. Their sacrifices for Christ bore witness to that fact. The false teachers would say, don't believe your lying eyes. It's true that things aren't always as they appear, but having witnessed the faithfulness of Paul and his team for a year and a half surely gave evidence to the depth of their faith. D.A. Carson summed up what the... uh, what this was all about really well. He wrote, the folly of the self-appointed apostles is that they had set up their own subjective standards of excellence, training in rhetoric, speaking fees, ecstatic experiences, commendations, awards, and so on. And then they judged themselves by conformity to those standards. The false apostles had no desire to measure themselves by objective criteria used by Paul, which was allegiance to the gospel, conformity to Christ's character, and participation in Christ's sufferings. That's the end of the quote. Eventually, those who put on a good front will be seen for their real motives, And conversely, those who may be accused of wrong motives will be seen faithful and sacrificial over time. As Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Verse eight, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I'm not ashamed, Paul said. This dynamic that Paul's writing about is a conflict that every servant of God has. Christ in us is the highest authority. And yet without him, we can do nothing. In Christ, we can be bold. In ourselves, we should be humble. And yet the issue is whether our flesh is deceiving us into thinking we are in the spirit when we're really in the flesh. Paul's authority was Jesus calling that made him the apostle to the Gentiles. He surrendered himself to the will of God and he died every day to his own will and his own ways. He had every right to claim authority over the church of Corinth that Jesus had established through him. His message of grace as the means of faith and salvation was God's message and not his own. It was the opposite of what he'd grown up under. It was not pride that boasted of his authority, but rather being surrendered to the will of God and having faith in Jesus. Paul declared himself to be the worst of sinners. He also claimed he died to that person he once was, and now Christ lived in him. That's humility and self and boldness regarding the life of Jesus in him. How can we be ashamed of what God does through us when we're living for Christ, manifesting the life of Christ in our mortal bodies? If that's the case, to be ashamed of what God does through us, then it's to be ashamed of God. We live in this wonder of of being a broken vessel with all its weakness, but used by a God who has all authority while at the same time being careful that we are walking in the spirit and not being deceived by our own flesh. The best way to determine that is to see if we are manifesting the fruits of the spirit. I've witnessed people expressing strong authority and claiming they were speaking for God and they were anything but gentle. But gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Verse nine and 10. I do not want to appear to be frightening with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Paul was addressing this attack on his character from false teachers. Titus, uh, who delivered that strong letter that he wrote, probably reported this expression about weighty letters and yet weak when present. He must have heard it after he delivered that harsh letter. They were attacking his gentle presence and his humility. Humility is not something that the culture honors. Gentleness was thought to be a weakness in that culture, but it is a manifestation of the Spirit and it's an attribute of Christ. If Paul was firm and authoritative in his letters, it was to build up the Corinthians. The false teachers used their boldness to tell the Corinthians that they were stupidly following the wrong teacher, which was tearing them down and misleading them. They said Paul's speech when he was present was of no account, when actually it was the gospel that invites us to live in Christ and experience the wonder of his grace and love. We've seen the power of the word transform lives. While the false teachers are trying to say Paul was a hypocrite, Paul was showing the the Corinthians that those teachers were actually operating out of the Spirit. Verse 11, Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. In other words, the person who is saying that his letters are powerful but his presence is weak, let him know we're the same person. Paul was giving a warning that the person who said this was going to be confronted as a false teacher because Paul's going to walk his talk. All of his team was going to. He said, we. Paul's flatly denying that they are hypocritical. The Spirit leads in firmness against false shepherds and gentleness towards the young sheep. We see that picture in Ezekiel where God smites the false shepherds and yet gently carries those who are with young, the sheep that are with young. It's the same spirit. Paul's the same person when away or when present, he's the ambassador of Christ, building up the church through correction and when he's proclaiming the grace of the Lord. Remember that Paul confronted that demon uh, that was in that woman at Philippi you remember that story that the, the lady that has the spirit of fortune telling is following him around saying, these men are the proclaiming the most high God. Day after day after day. And finally, Paul had enough and said, come out of her. And the demon left her. That's authority. And you remember the demons that uh, the Pharisees tried to, to cast out of that man? And uh, the demon said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but who the heck are you? As he ripped their clothes off and they went screaming away naked. They were acknowledging the spiritual authority and power that Paul had. Verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Our standard of measurement is Jesus. Take a deep breath. (laughs) Because we all fall way short of that. Amen? If you compare yourselves with others, you can say, yeah, I'm better than that guy. But tell me you're better than Jesus. Or a measure up to Jesus. No one dares to say that. That's why we need him so much. That's what the gospel's all about. If you want to compare yourself with someone, compare yourself with him. Then you'll be humbled instead of puffed up. The false teachers were trying to compare their credentials, their their smooth rhetoric with Paul's preaching. They commended themselves, which means they're boasting in their own perception of themselves. Paul wrote that if you boast, you should boast in the Lord. When you ask people if they think God would let them into heaven, you know, our brother Ron Kess, uh, he often goes up to NAU, he works for Billy Graham on the phone, and he often asks people um, after he goes through, you know, whether they're a sinner or not and so forth. The last question he asked them is, what do you think your chances are of getting into heaven? And most people will compare themselves with others when they try to give you give themselves a percentage, you know? Well, I'm better than those guys, and so maybe 60% chance, or, or uh, I'm nothing like Hitler, I think I've got a chance, or... But if you inform them that only a life like that of Jesus is worthy of heaven, they get a big reality check. These false teachers were trying to compare their flesh with Paul's by pointing out outward appearances when the scriptures tell us not to look on the outward appearance. Comparing their flesh against Paul's flesh misses the whole point. The flesh is of little profit. They were majoring in the insignificant and off base in what really matters. It just revealed how ignorant they were verse 13 and 14 but we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence god has assigned to us to reach even to you for if we are not over for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of christ we do not boast beyond the li- beyond limit in the labor of others So Paul's reinforcing this truth that his team founded this church. They traveled a great distance at the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel of grace to the Gentiles in Corinth. That was what God assigned Paul to do when he was converted, when Ananias prayed and prophesied over him. He was fulfilling his God-given assignment. He was not claiming some self-conceited authority. It was given to him by God. It was reinforced by the church at Antioch in chapter 13 of Acts when they prayed and the Holy Spirit said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. The false teachers were neither sent out nor were they founders of the church. They were usurpers. When Paul asked the Jerusalem council about these teachers, the council said that they did not send them out. Acts 15, 24. Their claim over the Corinthian church was trying to usurp the labor of Paul's team. Paul's saying that if God sent them to evangelize, then go start churches somewhere else. This reminds me of some pastors who come into town and and claim they want to evangelize while siphoning off believers from other churches to make up their congregation. The Judaizers in Paul's day were trying to take credit for his work and ingratiate themselves with the Jews by telling them that they got the Gentiles to obey the laws of Moses. It was a denial of the finished work of Christ for their own vanity. No wonder Paul's second letter was so harsh. The same kind of self-serving goes on today, and it has to be firmly confronted with the truth. Verse 15 be but our hope is that as your faith increases our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Paul believed in the great commission that we are to make disciples and in the letter to Timothy he said we're to teach others who will be able to teach others in other words the whole goal of the great commission is to have spiritual children who then produce spiritual grandchildren who produce great grandchildren in other words the gospel goes on and on as each generation disciples the next that's the lord's plan for growing the church making disciples who make disciples He expected the Corinthians to make converts, which would expand the ministry area that he was responsible for. Like Jabez, he wanted his his area of ministry to be expanded. Not for his glory, but to preach where the gospel had not yet been preached for the glory of God. He wanted spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He didn't want to take credit for someone else's work. And that would take place as the faith of the Corinthians increased. As their faith increased, they'll make disciples. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So listen to God and obey. And how do we listen? It's through the word of Christ. And then lives are touched and the kingdom expands. If you're in Christ, your heart longs to hear that day when Jesus will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul rephrases Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. That, that, that passage reads, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This verse, verse 17, along with, with the verse that follows are are among those verses that we underline or highlight to go back to because these are verses that renew our mind and conform us to Christ-likeness. Paul one time asked, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? That's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Did you do a good job? Who gave you the strength? Your mind, the opportunity, breath, finances, ability, gifts, and on and on. It all comes from God. Understand and know him. Because we have this tendency as man to think so highly of ourselves, the Proverbs tell us, in 27.2, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Corey Tenboom said that uh, she thanked people for their expressions of gratitude and the praise for her life and for her message. You know, she'd speak all over, all over the world about uh, the things that God used to her, especially. Um, in the, uh, during World War II hiding the, the Jews but then when she'd speak after she'd speak it was always anointed by God and very powerful and so people would come up and give her praise and she'd say thank you but she said at the end of the day I take all the thanks and I put that bouquet of thanks together and I give it to the one to whom it belongs I present it to the one who's worthy, to Christ. I love that expression. Because we should recognize the Paul teaches that we should be, um, can't remember exactly how the verse goes, but we should be honest about what God does through us and be grateful, and yet at the same time, know that it all comes from God. He was willing to use even flawed creatures like us. The false teachers wanted to boast in their heritage, their rhetorical ability, and other things that all came from God, who is the one who deserves all the praise for anything good that comes from any of us. We should be boasting in the goodness of God as we just sang. God, the one who deserves all the praise for anything good that comes from us. That we fallen teacher uh, people tend to think that somehow we did things on our own. It reminds me of the joke about uh, uh, there's this joke about Satan and Kim comes to God and he says, "Let's have a little competition. Let's let's see who can make a human being." And so they both go to work and and they make a human and make it alive. And then God says, "You cheated. You used my dirt." It all comes from God. He deserves all the glory. We do a good deed, but it was done with this body that God gave us. Should that not be what we do with the gifts of God? Use it for good, for his glory? Then how do we boast accepting God who gave the tools and the ability and even the desire to do good? Verse 18, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Man can boast in all kinds of accomplishments and pat himself on his back. But without the gifts God has given us, we could do nothing. John 15, 5. Without him, we can do nothing. When people start bragging about what they've accomplished or who they know, it just really saddens me. It sometimes comes from a lack of confidence in who we are in Christ. And in other cases, it's the desire to impress people and gain their approval. The only approval that we should be seeking is God's approval. Sure, we all want to be approved by man, and if it's so that the ministry won't be blamed, in other words, we want things to be uh, respectful in the eyes of the community, that's not a bad thing. But if it's for self, it's just foolish. The people who are praised by man one day can be scorned by them the next. If you do not agree with someone's the uh, ideology or or declare your faith in Jesus, that praise can quickly turn to disdain. You know the expression, fame is fickle. It's very true. It's only God's approval that matters. It seems that God prefers to use broken people. Look at how Peter failed. How Paul behaved before he saw the Lord. How King David sinned against God. And yet, these are great heroes of the faith. In this same letter, Paul wrote in chapter four, verse seven, but we have these tr- this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul declared that Jesus had chosen him as one of the worst of sinners so that, and I'm quoting from 1 Timothy 1:16. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, he was saying, God chose me so that he could present me as a trophy of how great his grace is. In other words, if you feel like you're too bad for Jesus, Paul says, look at me. God chose a Christian killer to be an apostle. If he has that kind of patience and power, have faith in what he can do for you. Amen. So how do we find ourselves worthy of God's commendation? How, how do we broken vessels full of failures and scars become approved by God? Well, it goes back to the call to worship, the gospel. Starts with asking for his mercy and inviting him to take up residence in us, forgiving us of our sins. Then it's to be found in his son and his son in us. It's letting Jesus' life be seen in the things we do and say, as we read earlier in Corinthians, to see his life manifested in our mortal bodies. Jesus is the only one worthy to be commended. May he be seen in our lives and may he receive all the glory and may we be approved simply because we are found in him and yield to his life in us. And then it's to recognize that all good things come from him and that he deserves all the praise. Amen. Amen. Joe, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction.